mindset is is critical. You know, I don't think mindset just comes at birth either. I think you've got to work at it, and I mm. think you need to listen to podcasts like yours and, and read books and you know attend conferences and do all the things mm. that I think people that get to the top and and just as importantly stay at the top right. have to do on a daily basis. I'm Valerie Koo from the Australian Writers' Centre and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy on ProductiveInsights.com. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to www.ProductiveInsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Hello, and welcome back to the Productive Insights Podcast. This is Ash Roy, the founder. We had a few glitches with today's episode. The audio is a little bit scratchy because the internet connection wasn't great, but the content more than makes up for it. So I hope you get a lot out of this episode. I certainly did. This episode is brought to you by the Productive Insights Done For You podcast launch service, which positions you as a leading authority in your market and successfully turns listeners into high-value repeat customers. Book a call with me on callashroy.com to discuss how we can get started. To access all the information in the show notes, including a link to the YouTube video, head over to productiveinsights.com forward slash 122. Now, without further ado... Here is our guest for today, a highly accomplished entrepreneur in the real estate space who shares some great actionable insights around mindset and branding. Enjoy. Our guest today is John McGrath. He's built a really successful business that is considered one of the best in the country and also enjoys coaching and mentoring his business peers and sharing his insights on business. John has written several books and has been a director on the board of realestate.com.au, which is one of the country's most successful tech stories and now an $8 billion business. It's my pleasure to welcome John McGrath from johnmcgrath.com.au. Welcome, John. Hi, Ash. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, great to have you on the show, mate. It was an uh, absolute pleasure meeting you at a recent event and also seeing you speak at the B Exponential Conference. Um, I really enjoyed the stories you shared. You're a great storyteller. And I particularly enjoyed your story you shared about the, a certain actor that you went to school with who's a household name now. So let's talk a bit about mindset and how mindset played such an important role in your success and how maybe you can weave in a bit of your story about how yours and Russell's parts crossed when from when you were young and uh, how you both have come to become so, success, so successful in your various endeavors. Yeah, thanks, Ash. Well, look, I, uh, Russell Crowe was the actor you were referring to in, in my story and I was fortunate to go to school with Russell and we've been good friends since we've been uh, 13 or 14, which is nice. And uh, so I've been able to observe his, uh, let's call it a meteoric rise, although not overnight success, as we all know, it takes time. Yes. And um, it's it's been great great, great to watch. And, and even though Russell's, I guess, in an area where many people would make the false assumption, I think, mm-hmm. that you've either got natural gift or talent or you don't, having known Russell when he certainly had no apparent talent in the acting world and seen him work very hard for many, many years to develop that talent and, in my opinion, go to the uh, top of the acting industry. It was exciting for me to have that insight and known him before he had any celebrity status and before he had apparent acting skills. I guess in my world, you know, I'm not Russell Crowe by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I guess I look at the same thing that... When I started in real estate, uh, I was one of uh, 50,000 real estate agents in Australia and mm-hmm. 
no more or less talent than any of the others, <clears throat> but I had a few things I think that have worked well for me. One of them was I was always, I, I guess, what one might call a big thinker. I yes. I aspired to be the best real estate salesperson on the planet, mm-hmm. and then when I started my own office, my goal was to have the best real estate company on the planet. And I think it, it's important to think big because when you think big, it drives every decision that you make. If you're doing it properly and if you're seriously committed to action, every decision you make, and whether it's the brand of coffee you're serving your clients, the, the type of furniture you put in your office, the quality of the marketing you do, obviously the quality of the team members or employees, if you will, that you hire. When you're aspiring to be the best, the decisions are of a richer nature. So I think that mindset, at the end of the day, most of us have two arms, two legs, and a, and a, <laughs> a, a, decent, a decent brain and, and uh, you know, the ability to do what we do uh, as well as we can. I think what separates people is rarely any what one might call natural gifts or talents. It's more around, you know, working hard, understanding what it's going to take and having a tough mindset because execution and the ability to deal with the rejection in our industry, I I think like many other industries, the ability to deal with the inevitable disappointments that you encounter along the way Uh because anyone that thinks that success is kind of like a 45-degree trajectory where you just keep turning up and getting better and better, (laughs) of course, is deluded. It's it's, if you double on that same graph, you can see that, you know, there's weeks of misery and there's days of despair and then you've got weeks of elation and ecstasy. And, and so I, I think, you know, reality is your ability to control your emotions, to be disciplined about your approach, um, deal with the inevitable rejections that come with success when you're on the journey, uh-huh. maintain a positive attitude. And, and Ash, I think it's, it's an authentic positive attitude because – it's not about just faking it, you know, although sometimes you have to kind of just look as though you're happy even when you have occasional bad days. But yeah. overall, I think you need to have an optimistic look. You need to be a positive person. You mm-hmm. need to be uplifting because that energy and vibration is going to attract people into your vortex, if you will, mm-hmm. um, including business. And uh, so I think it's really mindset is, is critical um, and therefore – how does one, you know, I don't think mindset just comes at birth either. I think you've got to work at it and I mm. think you need to um, you know, listen to podcasts like yours and, and read books and, you know, attend conferences and do all the things mm. that I think people that get to the top and, and just as importantly stay at the top right. have to do on a daily basis. Yes. I mean, I have a personal standard and ritual that I would generally um, – immerse myself or expose myself to 30 to 60 minutes minimum a day of learning. And wow, yes, I remember you talking morning. about that. Right, it starts early in the morning on the treadmill where I'll put on my my um, listening device and uh, ear pods and uh, then I'll um, listen to podcasts and then uh, often during the day if I've got a, having a snack at lunchtime or if I'm on a plane or at the end of the day I'll sit down, I'll read, you know, a, a, from a magazine or a blog or something. So I'm constantly working and people often say, you know, how do you have and maintain a positive attitude? Well, mm. it's how do you have and maintain good health in your life? You've got to work at it every day. You don't yes. just go to the gym for a year and think, well, that'll sustain me forever. You've got to go to the gym for the rest of your life and you've got to eat good food for the rest of your life. Yes. And you have to feed yourself mentally good things for the rest of your life. Yes. And you have to surround yourself with positive people. 
So it, it kind of works to me. It's layer upon layer upon layer of things that one must do to create and maintain a positive energy. Okay. And, you know, I just want to bring out some really, really valuable things you said for our listeners. The first thing that really struck me, both in what you just said now and your story when I saw you speak at uh, Be Exponential, was about the fact that it takes 10 years or 20 years or whatever to make what they call an overnight success. And none of us are born with this natural ability that we attribute to very successful people. It's hard work. It takes grit. It takes persistence. I know as a business owner myself who's been been through the trenches the first few years when you're establishing a business, it is really hard yakka and you've got to be willing to do it and you cannot, cannot give up. What did strike me though in what you said earlier on was the, the, the ability to think big. Now, I have to put my hand up and be honest and confess that I do fear thinking really big. It scares me. <laughs> thinking, you know, really, really big is quite scary. And I guess it would be scary to a fair proportion of people who are listening to this. So what would be your advice to us folks who are a little bit fearful of shooting for the, shooting for the moon and landing in the stars anyway? Yeah, good question. I think that, you know, you have to shift the paradigm from scared, scared to excited. And mm-hmm. how do you do that? I think you've got to remove or you've got to identify the things that scare you. And I find, Ash, often fear serves a very valuable purpose that yes. it asks uh, or it has asked question <clears throat> certain things. Now, you know, fear about, you know, walking down the middle of the road, of course, is you're going to get hit by a truck and so you don't do it. But mm-hmm. fear about, you know, growing a business, starting a business, uh, going for a new role um, or, or any of those things. You need to say, okay, what is it that I'm fearful of? What's the worst thing that could happen and can I deal with that? And you say, okay, starting a business, aiming for the stars. So let's break it into two. First thing is starting a business. What's the fear? Well, I need to leave a job and I, I need to put some of my uh, hard-earned savings into a business which may or may not work and uh, I need to work extra hours because, you know, in small business and, and when you're self-employed, you kind of, it's not nine to five anymore if that's what mm-hmm. someone was used to. So you go through and then you make a list of those, Ash, and I think you say, well, <clears throat> can I deal with all those things? If I were to lose my, you know, $100,000 savings because I've, uh, because there is going to be risk in anything. Yes. And so you need to be able to deal with that. And and my, my experience is personally it's not common that the worst that could happen does happen. Sometimes stuff doesn't go right. In fact, all the time stuff doesn't go right. But at the end of the day, if you look at what's the absolute worst that can happen, that's unlikely to happen. So then let's say we get over the speed bump or the the hurdle of um, taking that risk and going forward. Then the question is, well, if I'm going to open a laundromat, real estate company, whatever industry you're in, why would I not aim to be the best on the planet? I think the real answer there, Ash, for a lot of people is, a lot of people don't aim to do that because they don't want to disappoint themselves. Um, yes. It's not because there's any more risk. If you open a laundromat or a real estate company and <clears throat> your aim is to be in business or the best in the world, there's mm-hmm. not necessarily a lot more risk in those things, but there is the risk of disappointing yourself. So, well, my, Sorry my to interrupt you, but there's also that, you know, you become a public figure, you're, you're you know, exposed to a lot more scrutiny. So there's a lot of other things that go with it as well, which I guess some of us – you know, are fearful of, but I, I guess that's something you got to, that comes with the territory. But how do you deal with those things when you're in that situation? Yeah, look, that, that's a good point. Um, I think that you're, you're right that if you do aim for the stars and hit them or the moon and, and hit it, 
there will be some adjustments one must make. And again, I would write those down. I'd say, all right, well, all of a sudden um, people start looking at me, they look at my business, not just competitors but other people in the community. And and in a small puppy culture where there are, I think, far too many people in the world and and even in Australia where they like criticising people that go out on a limb and and, Mm -hmm. and become successful, um, I think you've just got to deal with that reality and you've got to say that, there will be people. Success polarizes. A good yes. friend of mine who was very successful told me many years ago. Great she insight. said, "Success polarizes. There are going to be people, um, and, and hopefully, like many of your listeners who are inspired and want to learn more, that the more sex- successful you become, the more excited they are to know more, and they cheer you on. Yes. There are going to be other people, the small puppies in the culture, where the more successful you become, they get angry. Why isn't not, not them? And they make up things about you, and they." They throw mud from a distance. Hmm. From my perspective, that's reality, and you just have to accept that. So, how how do I deal with that personally? Because that happens to me, like it does to anyone else that's hmm. achieved anything. I think in business, is I made the decision that what other people think about me and say about me is none of my business. Um, I love that. Okay, my business is to be a good quality. Yes, it's my, my view is what I can control and what I should focus on is being a good person. Yes. Good person, you know, good friend, good partner, a good member of the community, good business leader and, and employer. And um, all I can do is that. I can control. I remember many years ago, Ash, the, the late Wayne Dyer, who was yes, a, one a, of my favorites. Yes, I read his book, Erroneous um, Zones. I love that he, book. <laughs> Amazing, and, he, and he's he's got many great podcasts and audio and so forth when he was alive, and of yes. course he's now passed. But he took he talked about the fact that when he was speaking to an audience, and this was a live cast or a live uh, audio of him giving a speech, and he said, "There's five thousand of you in the room, and each and every one of you has a different view of me. So I have five thousand reputations representing the room." <laughs> and he said, "No matter what I can, what I really do and think about." You're all going to have your own view of who I am and, and what I've done and, and what I'm doing here in the room. He said, all I can control is the quality of the speech I give. Yes. That is, yeah, and, and the energy and the presence I have in the room. So he said, I don't put any energy out there worrying about what are you thinking about me. I yes. put all my energy internally as to how am I presenting the best messages so I can make a difference in your life. So I think yeah, you're right. It's in success, um, you will be – uh, scrutinized um, and you and so I guess the, the fearful bit there or, or the warning is if you are going to aspire to be best on planet you need to do that with integrity because if you if you are living life or, or working in your business and there is any compromise around integrity you will be found out and, and they are the people that deserve to be found out yes. but assuming there are many and the vast majority of people that are in business and are successful are actually living and working with integrity, they will still be subject to people throwing mud. And mm-hmm. my view is that part of the price you pay and it's character building and there will be days when you don't want to get up out of the covers because there was something in the paper yesterday criticising you or your business or something went wrong or a rogue employee did something which was not favourable and you – all of those things mm-hmm. are not only possible, they're almost guaranteed. Yes. Those or some other variation of those. So I, you just got to get over that. It's like in sales. If you don't like rejection, don't get into sales because no matter how good a salesperson you are, there's going to be a level of rejection that yeah. goes with that because you're, if you're out there pitching your wares and pitching your product and your service, 
if you want to be successful, you need to pitch it to more people. Yes. And the more people you pitch to, you're going to be exposed to to more rejection. But that's part of the game, and you just have to accept that and move on. Because the alternative, I think, is a lot scarier. The alternative is you don't expose yourself out there. You don't grow a great big business. You don't get criticised. But the other thing is you just become potentially or your business becomes a mediocre part of the business community. And mm. for me, that's more painful um, than someone throwing mud. I'd much rather be trailblazing and, and taking the risk and being uh, subjected to anything from criticism right through to ridicule. Yep. Um, and uh, that's sort of a character-building process, I think. Awesome. Mate, I, I just want to uh, just bring out a couple of points which I, really excited me about what you said. First of all, I want to say that I have only met you a couple of, actually just once, and you were, I found it to be very personable, uh, someone who had a lot of integrity and was very authentic and I still are very authentic. And I, I really appreciate that. The other thing I wanted to say is that I loved what you said about Wayne Dyer for a couple of reasons. One is because I read the book, Your Renaissance, when I was 21, and it really, really made a big impact on me. Um, the biggest thing that came out of that book for me was what he says about making a choice about what you, uh, to some, to, to a very significant degree, we can choose what we think in each moment. I mean, yes, if there are extenuating circumstances, uh, you know, our physiology overcomes, uh, you know, overrides our thinking. But in most cases in our civilized society, we get to choose what we think. And he says, you can choose what you think and what you focus on in each present moment. And you can build your life one moment at a time. Uh, and the other thing that I loved about what you said was, what other people think of you is none of your business. And I think that's a great way to look at it. I have heard that saying before. And unfortunately, I can't say that I practice that as often as I should. Um, and as they say in sales, you know, if you're too worried about rejection, that means you're too focused on yourself. Uh, you know, if you want to be a successful salesperson, you need to be figuring out how to deliver value to your prospect. And if you are delivering value to your prospect, if there's value there, then the sale will happen. If there isn't, it won't happen. I know that's a bit simplistic, but uh, that's essentially what you're saying, isn't it? You, yeah, you look, no, I think it's, it's a very good point, Ash, because one of the greatest things, well, no, the greatest thing I find out of, you know, achieving some level of success is not the financial rewards. For me, once you get from, uh, which most of us start in, financial um, scarcity and, and, and even in, in most like mine and I'm sure yours and most of our listeners, financial pain, which was my initial driver to also do something. You get through that and then you get to a point where you're no longer in pain and you're living quite comfortably and then you get a point beyond that where you have some uh, surplus and, uh, and you might even be in financial abundance. At that point, anything more than that, for me personally and, and my experience with most people, is surplus and not going to change your life. I think it changes your life when you go from – financial pain to financial comfort. There's no doubt there is a very different experience and it allows you allows you to do some nice things in life. And so I think that's good. But beyond that, it's really kind of it's it's kind of what am I going to do with a couple of extra zeros in a bank account? It's not mm. going to change most people's lives. What does change people's lives though is when they finally take control of their emotions and their discipline and when they set a target there's a strong chance they'll achieve it so it's who you become in the process of attracting and achieving success for me is far, far more interesting 
and far more valuable to you as a human being than the financial rewards that inevitably are attached to that as well. So I, I like the fact that, you know, because I, I have always seen myself or I don't know if I've seen myself. There's no doubt that in my youth I was a very shy person and I think still to today, even in my 50s, um, I'm a shy person in a social sense that I'm not gregarious and I'm not an extrovert and I don't go out, you know, several nights a week and meet lots of new people. I'm a fairly private mm-hmm. private person. Um, but I, I also figured out when I was in my teens, when I went to a few courses and I listened to people and I, and I had to do some reflection on myself, I figured out that if I didn't break through some of that discomfort of going out and meeting people and and building up some presentation skills and communication skills and my preparedness to be rejected, um, I wasn't going to be able to achieve a lot of the other things that I found attractive, uh, such as getting into business, getting into sales, doing well at sales, starting a business, growing your business. All those things actually require you to go through those levels of discomfort. And still to this day, do I love rejection? No, I'd be lying if I said, to you, look, I've got no more problem, Ash. I love rejection. I can't wait to get the next one. That's not where I think you end up. I think, you, I think where you do end up, Ash, is you get to a point where you say, well, you know, I, I also am not devastated by rejection as I once would have been. Yes. I, I look at it and I learn from it. In fact, I heard a great saying the other day. I'm sure you and your listeners have heard it, but it was um, Nelson Mandela and he said, I never lose, I win or I learn. And I thought <laughs> that's a great that's a great way of looking at it. Yes. And I think it sort of encapsulates the way I feel today. So when something doesn't go wrong, when I lose a piece of business, which happens on a daily basis, yeah. uh, when you're trying to employ someone and they go to the opposition or they choose not to go and work with you or whatever it is, all of those things are various forms of rejection. Yes. I look at it and I say, well, you know, what did I learn around that and let's move on with it. And the other thing I've learned to help us and and perhaps help some of your audience is I find that the more things you have going on in your life and your business. So if I'm I'm a a real estate salesperson, which I, I am, and part of our business is is attracting business in and then we go and sell it to the buyers. But I need to get the listings, as we call it in our industry. Yes. If I have... 20 or 30 pieces of business that I'm chasing, which I would typically have mm-hmm. if I'm full-time selling, and and I chase hard and I'm each and every one of them is equally important and I'm passionate about each one of them. And I miss a few this week and I miss a few more next week. If I've, if I've only got three listings I'm chasing and I lose two or three, mm-hmm. it, it will feel relatively devastating. Mm-hmm. If I'm chasing... 20 and I missed three. Yes. Not that that, that that I don't mind. I don't want to sound complacent, but in the overall picture or scheme of things, it's kind of much more of a business as usual feeling and I understand and if I'm chasing 20, I can't, I can't get all 20 pieces of business and I expect to lose two or three. So I think you've got to have multiple things happening in your life and your business so therefore, when the inevitable rejection and failure comes along, it's no longer devastating. It's kind of like let's just move on to the next right. thing. So that that's I think that's pretty much the way I look at it nowadays. So you mean to, you know essentially diversification of you know put your eggs in more than one basket? <laughs> well, no, actually, no, not exactly because it's content for me. I've always concentrated in terms of real estate's been my thing, and so it's concentration, but having enough activity in your business and building enough of a pipeline, if you will, 
Oh, so I see. when when things don't go the way you would like to go, so if I was in recruiting and I've uh, and I'm out there looking for new clients to recruit for, if I'm only talking to two clients a day gotcha. and I'm getting rejections, it's one thing. If I'm talking to fifty clients and ten of them are saying come and see me, and out of those ten, five of them are saying, well, look, let's do business. I see what you mean. It's very different. So I guess volume and activity changes your perception and your feeling around. Let's call it failure or rejection. Yes. Um, so I, I very much just say build your pipeline. Every business has got a pipeline. No yes. matter what you do, a yes. pipeline is the potential business and the potential customers yes. you're chasing. So you know, chase it hard and, um, you know, it, it's going to be a much greater success story yes. if you're filling the funnel from the top with more opportunities. Yeah, so work on the lead indicators rather than lag indicators. In this case, the lead indicators are, uh, you know, building your pipeline and the lag indicators, which you can't control necessarily as directly, is how many of those convert into, you know, a paying customer. I see what you mean. Thank you for clarifying that. Now, I just want to be respectful of your time and I know that you've got to go in a minute. So I just want to quickly wrap this up. We have five, we have five minutes for sure. I'm enjoying the conversation. Oh, so I'm let's so go glad to hear that. I'm delighted to hear that. Well, you know, there were a few other things I wanted to touch on. And if it's something you would consider, I would be truly honored to have you back on the show to talk mm. a bit more about systems, which I wanted to discuss and and uh, about, you know, um, the no challenges problem. you may or may not have faced uh, separating your personal brand from the business brand. Because I know uh, something I wanted to touch on was, you know, when Steve Jobs passed away, I always wondered, you know, the Apple was synonymous with the Steve Jobs brand. I appreciate Wozniak was also involved in building the brand. But when he passed away, the stock price took a real beating. And I personally have a bit of a bee in my bonnet about uh, markets being able to tell uh, stock prices because the Apple stock price went from $200 to $700 in 12 months. And one of them was wrong. Now it's bounced back to 700 So my point is that, you know, this institutional demand drove the stock price ins- insanely down based on some one person's debt. And I guess my question was going to be, you know, Jobs tried hard to build systems and processes into Apple as a corporation to to separate himself from his brand, but eventually wasn't successful. And eventually the separation happened only when he passed on. And, you know, now Tim Cook has taken over and it's starting to see some stabilization and it's going through ups and downs. Have you seen challenges around separating John McGrath from the McGrath brand? And how have you overcome them? Yes, I guess if we look back for a minute to the Steve Jobs metaphor, and it's a good one, I think I'd argue that he didn't separate himself from the brand by the fact that the share price in a fairly short period of time bounced back quite strongly. So I think Mm -hmm. there's the emotional part, and and as we know, share markets are not terribly rational, uh, and you're right, you know, a a share goes from uh, $200 to $300 that doesn't mean it's it's fifty percent better company. It just means exactly. there is demand at that time, and there's a sentiment. So I think the fact that Apple fairly quickly, if you look at the overall history of Apple and the period that it, the shares did drop after uh, Steve Jobs' death, um, it probably rebounded to indicate that people actually believed as much as, as Steve Jobs was uh, absolutely vital part of its success, people mm-hmm. recognised that there was a business beyond jobs. I think the same with, with our business, and I would like to think, and maybe it's my ego speaking, but <laughs> I would like to think that people see that that I do play a vital role, and I, I certainly play a role. But beyond me, there is a brand and a, an amazing team of people and a set of systems and processes and so forth 
that is that is well and truly disconnected from me and and will live on with or without me you know, if anything would happen to me. So I think that many great businesses are for a long period of time anyway are very closely associated with their their founder. Mm-hmm. And Apple is a classic example. Virgin with Richard Branson yes. is another classic example. You could even say Mark Cuban's companies in America, yep. um, very important examples. It's not uncommon um, for great businesses to be attached very closely. But the really the greatest businesses obviously evolved beyond that as Apple has done and as Virgin has done and so mm-hmm. forth. Um, but I, I think, uh, so for me, coming back to my perspective, um, I, I, in the early days I never thought about that because I was just excited when you've got a tiny business, you don't have yeah. those thoughts and then it gets a little bit bigger. It does get to a point in your evolution, I think, Ash, you're right, where one thinks about, well, is this healthy for the business and for shareholders and for staff? Mm-hmm. And the answer is no. Inevitably, you need to make sure you have processes and people and marketing and systems that extend well beyond you. So theoretically, if you no longer cease to exist, then uh, the business continues to not just survive but grow and thrive. So I, I really focused on those things. And yet, you know, still today I, I'm, I'm very involved in the business, but if I was less involved, the business would continue to flourish. So I think it's a good point. It's not something that keeps me up at night. Um, when people say, you know, does it worry you uh, of that, I say, no, 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 because I know the business will thrive without me, but I have no intention of going anywhere. So um it's an interesting thing, but for most, probably most of your audience and listeners, I think the concept or the prospect of building a business that may well be founder-driven and and you, your profile as a founder may or may not, because it's not essential that it, you have a high-profile founder. Mm-hmm. But if you happen to be a high-profile founder, it's not something that I would say should concern you. Okay. That's great advice. So look, there's been some really awesome insights. We can talk about, you know, how to how systems build a, a business that endures past, you know, a founder and so on, which I believe is an integral part of creating a business that is valuable and saleable and that eventually can be decoupled from the founder. It's all about building, you know, bulletproof systems, awesome organizational culture and values. I would welcome the opportunity to talk about that another time. But for now, I just want to, you know, draw out some of the key insights we've had from this conversation for our listeners. Um, So the, the first one for me was think big. And if you as a listener have any concerns about thinking big, well, think about the risk of mediocrity. We all want to contribute something to the world and you know there yes there are risks with becoming very successful but what's the point if you aren't trying to be the best in the world at what you are and i really was inspired when you said you decided that you wanted to be the best real estate agent on the planet now if you want to to be able to do that as a listener you know you can do something what you've done john is you listen to podcasts and have 30 to 60 minutes of learning every morning uh, you try and maintain an authentic, positive attitude, and that's not just lip service, but that's actually having an optimistic lo- outlook. You quoted Nelson Mandela where he said, you either lose or you learn. You, it's not a, Sorry, you either win or you learn. I think that's the ultimate positivity in terms of mindset. You mentioned that success polarizes, and being aware of that is a pretty valuable thing to understand. Uh, it allows you to 
frame events that happen in life and to understand that other people's opinion of you is none of your business, which I think is a wonderful little phrase to carry around with you if you're looking to become someone really successful. Um, and coming back to your point about success being polarizing, when you try and be successful, there's a certain proportion of people that will want to pull you down because it, it's effectively demonstrating to them that they are not going to be that. And you need to be able to discern yourself from those people and say, well, okay, I need to make a choice and say, well, I'm not going to listen to that person saying, oh, no, Ash, you're insane for quitting a job in finance and banking, which, by the way, was my background, and starting your own podcast and starting your own business in content marketing. And I mean, I've got a CPA, I have an MBA, and I've quit all that to do what I'm doing now. And a lot of people said I was insane. They still think I am. And uh, read the book by Wayne Dyer, uh, Your Erroneous Zones, and listen to this podcast and try, try and take some action steps. And hopefully we'll have um, you back on the show again sometime, John, and, and maybe we can talk some more about systems and other things. Well, it'll be a pleasure. Actually, if, if your audience enjoyed this conversation, if that's the case, I would love to come back. Um, if they hated it, well, they'll never see me again, I guess. But uh... <laughs> I doubt that, mate. I doubt that. Uh, it'll be a pleasure. I've enjoyed it and, and I love what you're doing and I appreciated you coming to introduce yourself the other night and that's exactly how stuff happens is someone makes a decision and they, they have a vision. So it was great to be there. So we'll, we'll finish up now, but you, you let me know how it all goes and I'll look forward to perhaps a, a return about in the near future. Okay. Well, you're a real gentleman, John. It's a pleasure to have met you and thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks, Ash. Look forward to it. Bye-bye. See you, mate. So that was John McGrath from mcgrath.com.au. It was great talking to him. And some of the biggest insights I got from that episode was where he talks about thinking big and the fact that when you think big, your decisions tend to be richer and you actually make different choices. The other thing I really liked about what he said was if you have fears or anxieties about thinking big, mainly around the fear of disappointing yourself, then a good paradigm shift to consider making is switch from fear to excitement. And I've always believed that fear and excitement are two sides of the same coin. Somewhere within fear, in most cases, I find there's a little bit of excitement hidden in there. And if I can find a way to bring out the excitement in the fear, mainly by recognizing that the fear I'm feeling isn't necessarily well-founded, then I can switch that fear into a feeling of excitement and use it to drive me towards my goals. I hope you find the episode as valuable as I did. And here's to taking action and getting awesome results from the content. I look forward to talking to you in the next episode. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today?